You are listening to the Balmetto State Podcast, where we have conversations about all things basketball with a South Carolina flavor. Let's get started and tip off this episode with your host, the head basketball coach at Westwood High School, John Combs. Welcome to the Balmetto State Podcast. Our guest for this episode is the captain, Kerry Rich. Kerry is a C.A. Johnson High School graduate where he led the Green Hornet basketball team to the 1989 3A State Championship. After high school, Kerry earned a basketball scholarship to Western Carolina University. After winning the school's first ever Southern Conference Freshman of the Year award, he transferred to the University of South Carolina. While at South Carolina, Kerry started every game for three years, and during his junior and senior seasons, he was selected as the team captain under head coach Eddie Fogler. After finishing at USC, Kerry played three seasons overseas in Finland, Venezuela, and Brazil. Currently, currently works for the City of Columbia in the Parks and Recreation Department as the Recreation Superintendent. He also has reoccurring roles on 107.5 FM, The Game, and on TV with Watch Fox 57. Kerry was one of the catalysts to bring high school hoops to television with Watch Fox's Russia's High School Hoops Game of the Week. Kerry recently just started a 5013C nonprofit organization, the Captain's Hope Inc., where they work to instill hope and provide inspiration to local youth. His firsthand experience and knowledge make him the perfect guest for our podcast. The sad thing is, Kerry, I've just read probably just a tenth of your bio. So thank you for being on with us today. Hey, thank you so much, Combsy, for allowing me to be a part of it. You've done a terrific job of uh, uh, getting this off the ground. And you're right. We go back to 1994. And I remember when you were a student manager and I knew you would become a really good coach because I, I, I often joke with you about the fact that, you know, Coach Fogler didn't really uh, he, he he allowed you to do a few more things than what the average manager uh, would be allowed to do. You were almost a, a, a coach back then. So I'm not surprised that you turned out to be such a really, really a good basketball coach, but also a great ambassador for the state of South Carolina when it comes to basketball. So thank you so much. And I, I appreciate uh, spending some time with you on your podcast. Well, Kerry, thank you again, man. I, I will still never forget the, my very first practice at the University of South Carolina, which would have been your first practice of your senior year. I was so jacked up and excited about it and nervous. Coach Rick, I was down there with the post players, with Coach Rick Callahan. He was super intense. He looked right at me and said, all right, as soon as you get the rebound, you throw me the ball right away. I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir. So the first drill, someone shot it and missed it. I got the rebound, threw it right at him as hard as I could, and then nailed him right upside the head because he wasn't looking. And so after that, it was uh, certainly a, a nervous time. But, you know, I, I've been so blessed to be around some great coaches in my time. What, what coaches would you say had the biggest influence on your life? Well, uh, uh, you, you never want to minimize uh, any coach's presence or their influence. But I go back to uh, when I first started playing at nine years old, uh, Fred Buxton and, and Mike Brown. Uh, Fred Buxton, who's the father of Coach Buxton over at Ridgeview High School, um, coached me down at Drew Park. And uh, from there, and those guys taught me the fundamentals of basketball. It's something as simple as when you're on the left side of the floor, you dribble with your left hand. That doesn't sound as as big, uh, but as, as I continue to develop, as I continue to grow as a basketball player and became an SEC player, uh, that became really important, knowing the fact that when you're on the left-hand side of the floor, you dribble with your left hand. And on to uh, the late uh, Larry Kears, who was at uh, W. Perry um, High School, uh, one of my greatest influences, uh, 
comes from Coach Tim Gates. And the reason uh, that uh, was so huge for me is because he was he was a military guy. He was hard hitting. Uh, he was tough. Uh, he brought he, he he brought you to your knees. He brought tears to your eyes. And outside of that, uh, the, the one thing that kept me going more than anything is that he never, ever told me that I was a good player, Combsy. He never said that I was one of the best players. And so that motivated me. And I wanted to always be one of the best players uh, to come out of that program. But the guy by far uh, who had the most influence, and you don't want to minimize a, a Rick Callahan or, or Jeff Lebo, uh, but the guy that had by far the most influence on uh, me as a player and me as a, a, a as a man uh, is Coach Fogler, Coach Eddie Fogler. Um, you know, I was as you alluded to earlier, I was his captain for his first couple of years. And what a lot of people don't know is, uh, not only was I his captain, but I did not have a co-captain. But as a junior, I also played alongside two All SEC performers in Jamie Watson and Emmett Hall. And normally, your best players are your captains, and um, he allowed me to be the captain and I didn't have a co-captain for two years, but more importantly, he allowed me to be a part of the, like everything that was going on when it came with the team, it, it came to the team. I, uh, I, I selected the uniforms uh, when we played on the road. Um, I selected where we were going to eat. Um, he and I talked basketball constantly. Uh, I'm the one who dealt with officials uh, when there came a time for uh, some disciplinary action to be handed down to the players. Uh, he leaned on me. He relied on me to help him uh, with some of those things. So that experience within itself uh, helped me in that very, very difficult transition of becoming a man. And as you know, uh, working with Coach Fogler, he, he had three principles, and he got those three principles from uh, Dean Smith. And those three principles not only helped me as a basketball player, but those three principles also apply to how I live my life every single day. And it's uh, play hard, play selfishly, play intelligently. Play hard, play selfishly, play intelligently. And for me, that's how I want to live my life. Work hard, um, try to make smart decisions, and certainly use my blessings to help bless others. So uh, by far, uh, with all due respect to any of the other coaches that um, have had a part in my uh, development as a player and as a man, uh, Coach Fogler, hands down, is the most influential coach in my life. Now, Coach Fogler, would you say you always liked him when you were playing for him, or was there some times when you struggled to understand what he was doing, or how, how did you feel about that? Um, I, I think the easy answer would be um, I don't think any player always likes his coach. And, and you know what? I, I think if, if a player likes his coach – all of the time, I don't think that coach is doing his job. I agree. Because as a coach, it's your job to make that player uncomfortable. As a coach, it's your job to push that player beyond that uh, or, or his or her limit. So you're probably not going to like that coach um, all of the time. But I always respected him. And the one thing that I really, really appreciated about Coach Fogelman, for me, is probably uh, uh, not a fair question because of the relationship we had. We were now I was his captain, so we could talk about any and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we were on the same page. Now, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there were some times where I didn't necessarily like uh, mm -hmm. some of the things he said or how he said it. But that's coaching. And, and, and again, if a player never ever gets mad at his coach, John Combs, I don't think that player has ever been coached. 
I completely agree with you. Do you remember the first time you met him or the first couple of times you've talked and had conversations? Uh, yes, I do remember the first time I met him. Um, when he first got here, of course, Bobby Cremins was um, tagged to be the head coach at University of South Carolina. After three or four days, he decided to go back to Georgia Tech. And Mike McGee, the late Mike McGee, he was the athletics director at the time, um, the story leaked. So the press came over to our dorms, the roost, and they wanted to do an interview. Mike McGee, this is a Saturday morning, came and knocked on my door and gave me the script to read to the media. Uh, this is what you're going to say. This is how you're going to say it. And you remember Mike McGee. He wasn't anything to play with. He was intimidating. He was polarizing. So whatever he said, that's what you did. But initially, I thought I'd gotten into some trouble or something because what in the world is the is the athletics director coming through our dorm on a Saturday morning? <laughs> so, so, uh, so of course I I spoke to the national media uh, because it was during the uh, during March Madness and many people saw the interview. But uh, the first time Coach Fogler came, um, we he was we had three scholarship players at the time: myself, Jamie Watson and Emmett Hall. Myself, Jamie Watson, and Emmett Hall. We were the only three scholarship players when Coach Fogel took the job. So, of course, he had to piece together a team. We were bringing in recruits, and I don't know whether you remember Freaknik uh, down in Atlanta. There was this big uh, party yeah. uh, for college students down in, in Atlanta, <laughs> and uh, uh, I even had to have surgery. Um, no, no, that wasn't it. That was the following year, but you know, myself, Jamie, and Emmett, we had all planned to go down to Atlanta. We saved our money up, and we were, we were going to party with the rest of the <laughs> uh, rest of the college students. And I remember Coach Fogler calling us into the office, and he said, okay, you guys know what conference you play in, right? Yes, sir. We play in the SEC. He said, so is going down to party in Atlanta more important than you guys hosting recruits that could help you possibly win some games next year? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget walking out of that office and – uh, ended up canceling the trip to Freak Week, and <laughs> I wasn't a happy capper in this John Coast. <laughs> but that's the first conversation, major conversation I had with Eddie Fogel. Were you ever late to one of his meetings or practices? No, I was never late. And five minutes early is five minutes late. <laughs> so I was never late. Um, I was never, ever um I was never in his doghouse, actually. I was I was one of the lucky ones. And uh, I will tell you, he did get mad at me once. Uh, we were playing Providence. Providence had uh, on that team about four guys that ended up getting drafted. Um, so we're in Providence, and we're um, it's New Year's Eve. And we had gotten there. We had all traveled from our respective cities uh, the day after Christmas. So we were in Providence, Rhode Island, for like four or five days. And the hotel that we were staying in happened to be home to the biggest New Year's Eve party oh. in the city. <laughs> so we had played Providence that day. And when I say they beat the crap out of us, they beat us like a drum. So we get back to the hotel. We got a flight. We leave the hotel like 530 that next morning um, to, to get to the airport. And uh, Jamie Watson, the Hall, they all said that I was Coach Fogel's pet and he would listen to me and, and I could always have a conversation with him. And the one thing you know about Coach Fogel Combs is that uh, he's an early bird. He's going to sleep early. He's going to sleep 8, 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And you better not call him and wake him up. Well, I let these guys set me up to call Coach Fogel in this hotel room <laughs> that night. <laughs> and I remember like it was yesterday. I called Coach Fogel. I said, hey, Coach. Hey, man, I know we didn't play well. Um, I'll have the guys ready. 
as soon as we get back, uh, blase, blase, blase. But I wanted to know um, whether it would be okay for us to go to this party because it's the biggest New Year's Eve party in the city and everybody is here. I just want to know whether it's okay for us to go. And let's just say the conversation lasted about three seconds. There were a few expletives used and he hung the phone up in my face. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I hung up, Coley. <laughs> Jamie Watson and Emma Hall is standing next to me. I said, well, hell, he's mad anyway, so we might as well go to the party because he's going to bring it up, so let's go to the party. We get to the party. Every assistant coach on the staff is at the party. <laughs> Jeff Lebo, Rick Callahan, <laughs> and the late Neil Doherty. <laughs> so we, we're busted, so we ended up staying and um, didn't go to sleep that night because, again, we got an early flight, an early uh, bus ride to the airport. And we get on uh, on the bus once we land in Columbia. And of course we're asleep. And Coach Fogler says, Hey, make sure um make sure you drop us off at the Coliseum. We're going to practice. I'm saying, What? <laughs> no way are we going to practice. We've been out all <laughs> night long. There's no way we're going to practice. So we're 15 minutes into practice, Colby. And guess what Coach Fogler says? Hey, Carrie, I am sure glad that I didn't let you guys go out last night. You guys will be really, really tired right now. <laughs> so I said, Coach, that was the best decision you ever could have made. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can so hear him saying that. Oh, yeah. Now tell me, as an athlete, what is the one game or moment you wish you could relive again that you had? Oh, man, I wish I had uh, just one, but I, I will um, – if it's, I'd love to share two quick ones. Um, 1989, uh, C.A. Johnson, we won the state championship against um, Sean Golden um, the and, and Riverside. Sean Golden was a McDonald's All-American. Riverside had just gone on to two out of three state championships, and we ended up beating uh, Riverside. And it was a big, big deal. Nobody gave us a chance. It was a big deal. And you know anything about C.A. Johnson – um, it's, it's rich in history, certainly in the African-American community. Um, one of the oldest African-American schools in South Carolina. Uh, so we, uh, we ended up beating them and it was much bigger than just the school. It was, it was a community victory. And when we got back to the school, uh, man, it was so many people in the parking lot. There were so many people at the school and here I was, I was the, I was one of the stars of the show. You know, we had just beaten uh, Riverside, I'd just gone head-to-head with Sean Golden, who was a McDonald's All-America. He had 19, and I had 30, and we won. So I was one of the stars of the show. And I get back, and I, I was in love at the time, Combsy. I had a little girlfriend, <laughs> and all I wanted to do was be able to and, – and, and her parents would not let her talk on the phone after a certain time. So uh, there were no cell phones back then. <laughs> so what I needed to do was get to my house so I could get on the phone to talk to my little girlfriend that I was in love with as a – as a junior in high school. <laughs> wow. And to make a long story short, I never, ever, and I never got the chance to enjoy that moment. That is one of the biggest regrets. I wish I would have just waited to talk to her the next morning because I never got a chance to talk to her anyway. But there was a big block party. So many people from the community, they were all there celebrating and Carrie Rich was in his car uh, going home. And that's the one big regret. But if there's one basketball moment that I love to uh, relive, uh, we're playing Mississippi State my junior year. Uh, Jamie Watson was an All-SEC performer, so we had a play uh, where we called 1-4, where Jamie Watson would have the ball at the top of the key, and he just go make a play because he was that good off the bounce, mm-hmm. passing it. 
and Mississippi State because I wasn't shooting a lot of threes that year. That was the year I got hurt. I had had an emergency appendectomy, so I was just working my way working my way back into shape. So Mississippi State uh, decided to double off me that night, and I ended up having a huge night. Had 18 points, nine assists, three steals, only two turnovers, and so we're up two points with four seconds, with three seconds to go. Uh, they shoot uh, they shoot the free throw on the other end. They miss it. I get the rebound. I get the rebound. I get fouled. I go to the free throw line with three seconds to go. I, all I need to do, worst case scenario, is make one. And if they heave up a three-pointer, it's a tied game. We go to overtime. Well, I missed both free throws, John Combs. Not only did I miss both free throws, but there was a, a long rebound, and one of Mississippi State's players, I think it was their point guard, took one dribble and threw up a three-quarter court shot, and it went in at the buzzer, and we lost by one because I missed both free throws. And so the great game that I had, all of it was just erased. And I can tell you that was the longest walk from the Coliseum floor to the locker room that I've ever, ever experienced, certainly one of the lowest moments of my life. Now, you played really well in that game. Is that yep. a game you wish you could play again? Or is there, is there another game maybe that you think about you wish you could have all over again? Um, probably the Florida game that they now play on TV <laughs> for the, uh, when they do the SB, uh, ESPN, um, uh, ESPN moments where they go back and play the, the different games. And the reason I say that is because that was my first game back from uh, that appendectomy that I, that I talked about. So, uh, when my son is watching the game, he doesn't see daddy scoring a lot. He just sees daddy running the offense and, and not looking to make plays a whole lot. And uh, some folks are probably looking and say, man, I thought C. Rich could score a little bit. Uh, but no, nah, I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, obviously there's some moments you like to have back. There's some moments you like to do things a little bit differently. But I mean, I have so many great memories of the game and the competition and uh, the inner competition and the teammates and uh, this in-game strategy and, and some of that stuff. So uh, now there's not one particular game that, that I like to have back. What's the coolest thing you've done because you're, since your playing days that you've been able to do um, in sports or something because your involvement in sports, what's something cool yep. you've been able to do? Yeah. The game of basketball has done wonders for me. The game of basketball has allowed me to see uh, an entirely new world. And um, one of the things I got a chance to do was, um, back when Governor Nikki Haley was the uh, um, the governor here in South Carolina, uh, her son Naylin is a big, big, big basketball fan, um, and uh, she wanted uh, Coach Frank Martin to uh, kind of mentor Naylin and kind of let him hang around practice. But because of the NCAA, uh, that makes it really difficult, and you want to kind of stay out that gray area. Mm -hmm. So Coach Frank Martin introduced me to Nikki Haley, and Nikki Haley. Um, and her family, uh, Michael Hale, along with Naylin, um, we became really, really close and trusted friends. Uh, she actually uh, entrusted me with uh, with her son, and uh, we would work out. I would take him to work out, and he and my son became good friends. As a matter of fact, uh, they were just communicating with each other just the other day after he made the decision to go to Villanova. But probably wanted to, uh, you know, outside of her entrusted me uh, with her son, which means I had to go through an extensive background check. I knew all of the security detail. I knew the nannies. I knew all of that. But um, I guess a few times I went to his game 
and um, they would always want to know when I was coming and uh, she would be, you know, kind of uh, in a little area by herself with their security. And uh, when I would let them know that I was coming, their security would come uh, to the door and escort me uh, to that area uh, where the governor was sitting. And, you know, I was pretty cool. And I, I don't mind saying that without basketball, that probably would not have happened. But there's a really, really cool deal I was able to experience. Um had a good friend who owned a, a marketing company who lives out in Chapin. And I've been talking about, you know, wanting to go to a Louisville and Kentucky basketball game. Mm-hmm. And part of his marketing uh, firm's deal was uh, Louisville was one of his biggest clients. Uh, and this was right after the Young Center uh, was built. Uh, so he surprised me uh, one year and said, hey, uh, we're going to uh, the Young Center and we're taking my private plane. And, of course, I've been on the charter plane before with the team. But this is a little bit different, Combsy, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're driving up to the airport and there's a private plane waiting for you. And uh, when the private plane is ready, there's only four of you guys, um, you know, flying to, the, flying to Louisville, Kentucky. And when you get off the plane, there's a limousine waiting for you. And, and the limousine takes you um, to some secluded area at the Yum Center. And uh, we're escorted. We're met. We're escorted up to uh, a suite. Uh, well, we're given a tour of the entire Yum Center and to include Rick Pitino and all of that good stuff. And uh, we're escorted to a suite to watch the game. And after the game, uh, we're um, uh, there's an exclusive steakhouse restaurant that's like the destination for all of the who's who that were at the game. And it's connected to the Yum Center. And so we leave the game and we walk across uh, the park a lot to the uh, to the steakhouse. And this is when that that wild moment just kind of overtook me. We're uh, we're sitting in the room and, and and we're waiting on our food. And right next to us is is John Gruden. John Gruden still was on uh, Monday Night Football. He hadn't taken the Oakland Raiders job yet, and he was with the uh, uh, the uh, the former owner of Papa John's Pizza. And their plane was like right next to our plane <laughs> when we landed. So they're sitting right next to us and. Uh, going to a table like three tables down, uh, you had Rod Strickland, who was on the Kentucky staff at the time, Worldwide West, who's one of the biggest names in basketball, period, uh, Calipari. All of those guys were at, uh, were at a table uh, a few seats, a few tables down from us. But this is what kind of said, OK, wow, this is this is unreal right here. We're uh, as we're finishing up our meal and just kind of waiting on our ride. Uh, one of the servers came up and said, Mr. So-and-so, uh, just to let you know your plane is ready and uh, your limousine is out front to take you to the airport. And that was a moment I said, you got to be kidding me. This isn't the same guy from the projects of Saxon Homes uh, that's now been fortunate enough to be a part of something like this. And that was a reminder of what the game of basketball did to me again. If it wasn't for basketball, then Kerry Rich would not have been in a situation like that. So those are two of the um, few cool things that I've been able to do um, uh, uh, because of the game of basketball. And more importantly, uh, the relationships uh, that were developed, uh, those relationships have also been sustained. And, you know, Governor Nicola Haley has also been instrumental in a few of the other things that I've been a part of in the city. One of the things that you do a great job, you're a great follow on Twitter and people should go follow you at the captain underscore Oh three. 
and you just you're followed by i think you got over seven thousand people following you right now among those are even zion williamson is following you job ja morant's following you many coaches many other people are, are following you what what role do you believe social media plays in high school athletics today and maybe particularly basketball recruiting yeah, I think it plays a huge role if used and utilized right. Um, I think it plays a, a huge role. Uh, unfortunately, um, in today's era of basketball, um, you know, it's far different from what I came to. And I won't get into back in the day because I, I don't ever want to beat someone down or beat the younger generation up by saying back in the day. Uh, we need to embrace today's generation to find a way to incorporate some of those lessons we had or learned back in our day into what the young kids are doing today. But I, I think, uh, unfortunately, so much attention, Combsy, has been paid to getting an offer and tweeting that offer and, um, you know, getting likes and, 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 and the highlight clips. And um, I, I, I think there's a – and one of the things that I hope people get when you get uh, – when you follow me on Twitter uh, – I hope you get the basic fundamentals of life. I hope you get the basic fundamentals of, of the game. And I like to share insight. I like to share, um, ultimately, I like to share the cheat sheet. Uh, and you talked about many of the coaches. That's the one advantage that I have. Um, I have unbelievable relationships with coaches all over the country at every level. Uh, and, and also share a very unique experience. Um, I'm one of the few guys uh, that played, but also I'm still involved. And, and, and as a caveat, being involved, I never detached. So I never left Columbia outside of two years, three years, but I was always attached to the sport, to the coaches. Uh, so I'm able to share that insight, uh, share different, uh, different tidbits that hopefully our young people will find a way to uh, benefit what they do. But I think social media can be great when it comes to utilizing it for the right reason. I don't think social media is beneficial to young kids or anybody that make it about themselves. When you're glorifying self, when you're making it about you, when it's making it about what you're doing, uh, I, I, I think that becomes problematic. Uh, now, I will tell you that coaches um, do a really good job. They uh, Most schools now actually have a guy on staff or have a woman on staff that follows social media. And they're following, if they're looking at a prospect, they're looking to see what that prospect is putting on social media. They're listening to the type of music that a prospect is putting on social media. I was I was going through Twitter the other day, and there was this young man that uh, tweeted out his highlight tape. And I was looking at the highlight tape, and unfortunately, I was also listening to the music. And it was an embarrassment. It was an outright embarrassment with the type of music he put behind his highlight clip. And I'm thinking to myself, do you really think a coach or a coaching staff is going to invest a couple of hundred thousand dollars in a person that has this type of music on this social media? Because you can learn a lot about who a person is on social media. Absolutely. And so I, I think when used the right way, I think it could go a long way. Uh, but when you don't make it and use it for what it's intended to be used for, then it, it, it becomes detrimental and it sometimes backfires. I always tell players that, you know, if kids are, if a college coach is out watching you play for the first time or just happen to notice you, they're going to, one of the first things they're going to do, even before they call the coaches, they're going to check you out on social media. And you may right away just knock yourself out of recruiting because of what you post, who you follow, who you 
retweet who you like and and all that on on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know what's funny? I, I um earlier today I had a, a conference call with a with a few coaches um, that wanted me to evaluate uh, three players from Columbia, and you know after the conversation he threw in a few other players and got my opinion on it. And afterwards he started laughing. Uh, he said, "Carrie, he said, man." I always appreciate your honesty. I always appreciate um, how forthcoming you are when it comes to evaluating players. And I laughed. I said, you know what? If I wasn't forthcoming, if I wasn't honest, you would not be calling me after 10 years to get evaluations on players. And I say that to say, I'm not going to overhype a player. I'm going to be truthful, but I'm also going to be fair to a player. If I haven't seen a player play in person, I'm going to let that coach know, hey, you know what? I haven't seen them, but here are the things that I've heard, but I have not seen them yet. And uh, I like to see a player two or three times in most cases. Some guys, you don't need to go see them two or three times. But in most cases, I like to go see a player two or three times because I want to see him when he's at his best. But I also want to see that player at his worst. And coaches also want to see the same thing. And, you know, I prided myself in being fair, but also being honest when it comes to assessing or evaluating players. Because when you overhype players, then you're not respected. And when you're not respected, then coaches aren't going to call you to get your thoughts and get your opinions on what your, uh, or, or uh, how you feel about a particular player. I, I completely agree with that. And I know that was something that I would, I would take from coach Fogler about just being honest, being straight. Cause I mean, the one thing you could always say about coach Fogler, whatever he said, it was the truth, whether he said it to the media, whether he said it to you, whether mm-hmm. he said it, his word always meant something. And that's something that always uh, stuck to me. What, what advice would you give to, to young prospects? They're coming to you it's like, Carrie, what, what, what do I need to do to be successful? Um, learn the fundamentals of basketball. Learn to dribble. Learn to shoot. Learn to play with effort. Um, if you could do those things, those things will – will be so crucial and critical to the development of any young player. Um, the one thing that I, you know, being able to shoot, uh, people look at Steph Curry and look at some of the other great shooters. You know, those guys are, are the exceptions. You, you know, you, you don't, most people don't just shoot like that. Um, but you still got to be a good enough shooter to be able to keep, uh, keep the defender uh, honest. And you got to make sure the defender finds a way to acknowledge where you are in the basketball court. If you can dribble the basketball, you can always impact the game. Um, and effort. the hardest thing to get a player to do, a young player to do, is play with extreme effort, play with a high motive. And what a, young, a lot of young prospects don't know is, you know, coaches look at different attributes. What's your skill set? What's your size? Uh, what's your weapon? What is the one thing you do well? Uh, what position will you play? Uh, what type of teammate are you? But also what they want to look at is, how hard do you play? What type of effort do you play with? And nine times out of 10, if you play with extreme effort, you'll find a way to impact the game. So that's that's what I would tell young people. Learn fundamentals. Work on things that directly translate to the game. Work on things that directly translate to the game. And if you're doing drills where you're, where you're making three moves before you attack the basket, well, you're not working on something that directly translates to the game because if you look at the game, you can tell that the game is happening so quick and your margin for error is slim to none. You got to be able to make a quick, quick move before that defense recovers. And I can tell you that if you're on that basketball for two or three moves, 
then you've been on the basketball far too long, and that speaks to a very stagnant offense and an offense that's probably not efficient. Work on things that directly impact the game. And also, you know, use resources. You know, use your resources. And this is not in any way dismissing uh, uh, trainers or, or AAU coaches or, 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 or high school coaches, anyone. But like in this city alone, Sean Combs, you have so many guys that went off and played Division One basketball. You have so many guys that went off and played Division Two basketball. Tap into those resources. Ask questions. Now, with asking questions, what you have to realize is, you know, we're probably not going to give you the answer that certain recruiting services give you. We're probably not going to overhype you. We're going to be real. We're going to be honest with you. But we're also going to be very insightful and very helpful so that when you go to practice or when you get to college and those first couple of days when things are not going your way, you're not ready to come home and call mama. You're not ready to come home to call your high school coach. You're not ready to come home to call your AAU coach. You've already been prepared for it. You know, so now let us tell you that, you know, don't let one black, one bad play turn into two bad plays. Two bad plays turn into two bad days of practice. Two bad days of practice turn into two weeks of bad practice. Before you know it, those two weeks have turned into a month of bad practice. And just like that, your freshman year is over with. So let us help you with those things. And unfortunately, I don't think we have enough of that here in the city where you have so many resources and I don't think young prospects or young players use those resources enough where we're going to tell you exactly what you need to do. But unfortunately, in today of social media and the hype machine and the marketing machine that accompanies social media, then a lot of those guys don't want to hear it. So they rather go and hear other things that's not beneficial to them. Kerry, that, that's great advice. I mean, there really is. I mean, in the day that we live in, I think people are as accessible as they've ever been before in mm -hmm. high level basketball minds. I know a lot of people that I've reached out to before 95% of the time, they'll reach back out to you. They'll share advice. Mm -hmm. They'll have a conversation with you to, to, to help you. And you know, I don't know if that's part of the a young generation, a kid just being nervous and not wanting to ask questions, but I, I wish, and that's something I would go back and tell my young self that I wished I asked more questions when I was younger mm -hmm. to try to gain more knowledge. Now, what advice would you give to, to young coaches that are that are just getting started in the game of basketball? So, first of all, humble yourself and do exactly what you did a few moments, uh, what you said a few moments ago. If you had to do it all over again, you would go back and ask more questions. Humble yourself, be a willing learner, be a willing listener, which is something that I pride myself in. I ask a lot of questions and I take pride in being a great listener. Um, and you know, tap into those resources that I just talked about players should tap into when it comes to players. You know, tap into the Tim Whipples, the Zach Norris, the Jeff Waylands, the John Combs. You know, I'm, I'm looking at a guy like Philip Dita. I remember Philip Dita was assistant coach over at um, Cartner Newman uh, with uh, uh, with David Ross. And now he's become one of the best coaches in, in the city. I, 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 I like the, the evolution. I like the development. And also what I would tell young uh, young coaches, go and work a lot of camps. Spend time around older coaches, ask questions, take notes, and then, no, you don't need to copycat every coach, but take a little bit of this, a little bit of that from coaches like yourself that's been in it for a while, um, you know, the, uh, the Bailey Harris's, you know, take what you've learned from those guys, and then you apply it to um, how you want to coach. Because no one style is, you know, no one style fits all. 
and also you got to be flexible enough. You got to be open-minded enough to uh, find a way to apply your style or the desire in how you want to coach to the personnel that you have on hand. Unfortunately, coaches are very, very stubborn. Coaches are very, very stubborn and uh, almost stubborn to a fault because coaches believe in what they believe in. Uh, coaches believe in a philosophy. And sometimes that philosophy may not be applicable to the personnel that you have in place. Sometimes you may um, have to do things a little bit different. Some, sometimes you may have to make it just a little bit less difficult. Uh, and those are the things that coaches have to do. But as a young coach, I would encourage him to tap into those resources of older coaches, work camps, humble yourself, be a willing listener, be a willing learner. You know, I, I certainly echo the sentiments about working camps. I mean, I think that is a great time to network with different coaches, pick different people's brains uh, mm -hmm. in working different camps. I mean, I remember when I was a, a student manager at University of South Carolina working basketball camp and a young Earl Grant was a, at the time, a, I hate to say it like this, a nobody, but he came to work mm -hmm. camp and mm -hmm. that's how he grew to, to, to learn different people. And, and I had a very fortunate to work different camps all across the country. And I think that is just something, an excellent opportunity to meet people and, and, and grow your game. So Absolutely. Because networking is so part of, is so important when it comes to, to coaching. Uh, you, you want, you, you never know who's looking and you never know which guy in that particular gym is going to be in position to, offer you a job and what you want that coach or, or that guy or that female, what you want them to be able to say is, you know what? That young person is a gym rat. I always used to see that person in the gym and that person was always working, was always active, was always asking questions. And that's the part of the networking that helps connect the dots when it comes to young coaches finding a way to become a part of different staffs. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is such great advice. Why do you take so much pride in uh, Columbia basketball? Yeah, you know what? Uh, because I'm a byproduct of, of Columbia basketball, I I went to C.A. Johnson, as I alluded to earlier, and, um, you know, basketball was so big in Columbia, and I wanted to be a part of it, John Combs. I wanted to be relevant. I wanted to have a seat at the table. And because I went to C.A. Johnson, there wasn't a lot of basketball tradition. There wasn't a lot of history of, you know, Ben Blocker was one of the guys that, that was able to kind of be on the front line with, with, with the top players in the city. But I wanted a part of it. And so I worked, worked really, really hard to be a part of it. And I made myself into a relevant player in the city. And in doing that, I just took pride in, in, in everything that came along with, uh, with Columbia basketball. And also prided myself in being a, being a student of, of the game or being a historian of, of the game. And I, and I go back to you know, the late 70s with Alex English at Drill High School. We all know what he did um, at, uh, in the NBA. Uh, Xavier McDaniel and Tyrone Corbin from uh, from AC Floor um, right after that. You know, Xavier McDaniel led the country in scoring and rebounding. Tyrone Corbin, I remember watching him on Saturday afternoons playing at DePaul. And Al McGuire, who was the, the one of the best analyst guys to ever do it, I remember he would always say Tyrone Corbin was the best conditioned athlete and college basketball player. You know, I, I remember that as a young, young kid. And, you know, fast forward, Glenn McCants from Eau Claire when it played at Clemson. And, you know, right after that, the mid-'80s, I, I remember right after uh, Villanova upset uh, Georgetown in 1985 uh, for the national championship, Roland Massimino, the head coach at Villanova, 
came to AC Floor High School the following year to offer Rodney Taylor, whose daughter plays over at Spring Valley, a scholarship. And that was a big, big deal because not only did he come, but he came in a limousine. So everybody in the basketball world talked about Roland Massimino coming to AC Floor in a limousine. And then right after that, you know, the, the baseball classic was the biggest, most prestigious tournament in the country. Oakland High School went and uh, went down and won the prestigious beach ball classic. And in doing so, Bear Manning became uh, the most outstanding player, beating Archbishop Malloy uh, and Kenny Anderson. And you know, right after that year, the 1988 team, that class, who will go down as one of the biggest, uh, best classes that ever come through college uh, high school basketball, the 88 class went and won the national championship. And many of those players were from Columbia. You talk about the 88 class, just think about the top four or five players in that class, Combs. Alonzo Morning, Sean Kemp, Billy Owens, Stanley Roberts. So many of, you know, that's one of the best classes that ever come through college basketball. Well, we had a group from Columbia that went and won the national championship that beat all of those guys. So there's a lot of pride and joy that, uh, you know, the JoJo Englishes of the world, the Stanley Roberts and the Joe Retz and the Pete Faust, you know, those guys. And then, you know, 89, you know, I talked about C.A. Johnson winning the championship. Eau Claire won the championship on that Friday night. C.A. Johnson won the championship on that Saturday night. So, again, it was so much pride. And we all know what Tim Whipple and the Irmo Yellow Jackets did uh, with B.J. Mackey in the, in the mid-90s and early 90s. And, of course, um, Eau Claire won another four or five state championships um, in the late 90s. And uh, just the players that have come through, so much pride. Um, so I know how Columbia basketball used to be. And I remember when I first started doing radio, um, uh, there were folks telling me that nobody cared about basketball. And I took it personally uh, because I remember uh, Lord Richland and Eau Claire selling out the Carolina Coliseum. So you can't tell me, especially if you're just coming to Columbia. You know, that's the part that I took personally. You haven't even been in Columbia um, for a long, long time. You're telling me that folks don't care about basketball. I saw, I witnessed, I'm a byproduct of soccer, of Columbia basketball. I know how packed the gyms used to be. I know how good players used to be. I know in the, the, the recognition and how Columbia has always been a destination. So I took a lot of pride. So what I would do is I use my platform. And by the way, uh, Combs, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably the only guy in South Carolina that has the platform of a television and radio as a basketball guy. As just a sole basketball. I'm not on radio or television because of football. I'm on because of basketball. So what I've done is I've used to promote it. I've used to promote players, uh, individuals, uh, coaches, teams. So I wanted to prove to people that there was a lot of pride in Columbia. And I wanted to become well-versed in the history. So when that conversation came up, um, I was able to uh, able to speak to it and able to speak to it intelligently. And it, I, I remember uh, just a quick story when South Carolina uh, made it to the final four, three, four years ago. Um, you know, I was the, I was the lone guy kind of talking basketball on, on, on the airwaves. And when basketball wasn't good, that wasn't an, an, an easy thing. Uh, but I, I was stubborn. I was defiant and I was going to continue talking basketball because that was my love. That is my love. I live it. And, there were so many people that appreciated me being defiant and stubborn and talking about basketball. True story, Combs. When the team traveled to the Final Four and they made their uh, each stop along the way, 
I had people hitting me up on social media, offering financial support just to make sure I was there to enjoy that ride with South Carolina. True story. That was just their way of, of showing their appreciation for me, again, being stubborn and being defiant enough to say, you know what? We live in a football state. We understand it. Football is king, but basketball also has a place. And as long as I have a microphone, basketball will always have a place in not only the city of Columbia, but the state of South Carolina. Well, basketball guys in this area, in the state, really do appreciate that. And I think the one thing, your credibility speaks to that as well. You're not one of those that's only going to talk the good things. Now, I know you, if a team plays bad, team plays bad, you're going to say it. Now, you're going to say it in a constructive way um, and how that goes about it. But you're fair. You're also one of the few guys, you talked about being on radio and TV. I mean, think about it. You've played high school basketball here. Mm-hmm. You played Division One basketball a, outside of the state, also then mm-hmm. transferred back in-state, played professionally, coached high school basketball, coached college basketball. I mean, to have that type of experience and background, eh, there's not many people that can say it. So we, we certainly do appreciate, uh, you know, the, the what you promoting basketball the way you've done and just the different events that, that you've created over the years. Um, you know, the, the, the South Carolina Hoops um, Festival. I mean, you've had Zion Williamson in it a few years ago. Um, I just saw it was on Twitter the other day that someone reposted some – some unseen for the first time footage uh, of that. So, I mean, I think you've done a, a great job with that. Now, this year, something a little bit different. For the first time, you had the opportunity to watch your son CJ play as a freshman at Richland mm-hmm. Northeast High School. Is it mm-hmm. difficult watching your son play? It's not as difficult as I thought it was going to be. Um, and uh, and the reason being is because I we talked about Coach Fogler. Coach Fogler has become um, arguably my son's biggest supporter. Uh, he goes to his practices, um, whether it's AAU, whether it's uh, over at uh, Richland Northeast with JoJo. Uh, he goes and watch practice. He goes and he watches games. Uh, he and CJ um, exchange text messages. If a particular player is, is playing um, in college, he'll send CJ a text message uh, telling him to tune in and watch a particular player. Then afterwards, uh, he'll kind of quiz them on it. Uh, so uh, the first game, uh, uh, Richland Northeast was playing playing Drear. And uh, I remember um, Coach Fogler sitting next to me, and he put his arm around my uh, shoulder. He said, he said, you know what? The, the person, the player that we see tonight won't be the player that we see three years from now. And he said, just like I was here for his first game, I'll be here for his last game. But the reason it's not is not um, it's not difficult is because uh, I feel like I've I've, I've done my part. Um, I've laid the foundation. I'm always wanted to coach him until he was 12 or 13, and then it was going to be time to turn him over to someone else. And uh, while we still talk basketball, the first five minutes of the game after the game is over with, and then it's back to daddy mode. Um, but uh, he's very inquisitive. He understands um, the game. He's a little bit ahead of the learning curve because of osmosis. And what I mean by that is he, you know, he's forced to live the game of basketball because of me. Uh, so he's, uh, he's in the car with me when I'm talking to college coaches. He's in the car with me when I'm talking to NBA scouts. He's in the car with me when I'm talking to high school coaches. He's, he's in my, he's in the living room listening to me talk about different things and, uh, because he asks questions, as soon as the conversation ends, he's asking me about a particular question. I was just on the phone. We were in the 
called together the other day and um, we were, I was talking to someone about the different presses in the 1990s, uh, Arkansas, Kentucky, and why Coach Fogel's press offense had so much success against those uh, presses. Well, when I got off the phone, he wanted me to break it down why Coach Fogel's press offense was so successful against Arkansas's 40 minutes of hell and the many different defenses that Rick Pitino played. So um, uh, he plays hard. He works hard. Um, and I, I thought it would be a little bit harder than what it really is, uh, but it's not. Uh, it, it's actually, I think it's actually harder for uh, some of my buddies uh, who are big, big fans and who come out to support him. Uh, because I know the, I have an expectation of where I think he's going to be um, by the time he's a junior. So for me, uh, just going through the, uh, the, the, the bumps and the bruises that you got to go through as freshmen, um, I didn't have a problem at all. Probably one of the greatest joys I, um, I received was after a game, we were walking to the car. And he said, Daddy, the game has slowed down for me. Uh, as a dad, as a basketball guy, uh, that's something that uh, that goes a long, long way. And, you know, here's the crazy thing, Comsey. You know, I didn't want him to even play basketball. I didn't want him to play basketball because um, I live it, and I was living the game since I was 15 years old. And what I mean by living it, uh, everything that I did uh, all pointed or contributed to me become becoming a better basketball player. I didn't have much of a social life. It was all basketball. So I was anal. And with being anal, there were going to be certain things that I expected from you for, from him uh, when it came to development, work ethic, habits, and some of the things that you actually that you got to do. Uh, so I didn't know whether he would be willing to do that. So I didn't want him to play basketball. And he came to me at four years old and said, "Hey, Dad, I want to, I want you to coach my my rec league team." And um, sure enough, I started coaching him at four, and he was the worst player on the on the team <laughs> at four years old. So now the pride kicks in, right? It's killing me <laughs> because you know naturally folks are saying, "Hey, that's the captain. That's Kerry Richard." You know, that's his son. And I was like, man. So after that season, I said, hey, CJ, here's the deal. Now, uh, if you're going to play, then this is what we're going to do. We're going to take it seriously. Or if, you, if it's going to be a game to you, then you need to let me know. So my expectations won't be the same. And um, he, 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 he bought in. He, um, he understood what I was saying. And since then, he's, uh, uh, he's done a really good job of carving his own path. Not the path that his dad carved, but carving his own path. And you know, even with my social media, since CJ has been playing, I've only retweeted about my son twice because I'm not going to be his hype machine. I'm not going to be his marketing machine. I want you to go out and earn it, just like your dad earned it. And I've shared the blueprint with him. I've shared the cheat sheet with him, and it's up to him to do the rest. And to his credit, he's done a really good job of working hard. And um, he continues to carve his path, uh, not a path for daddy. I'm not living it vicariously through him because, you know, fortunately for me, and let me knock on wood as I'm talking to you, I've been there and done that. You know, a lot of people look at me now because I'm like the voice and I'm the captain. Well, you know what? I played. And I like to think I was pretty good when I played. Uh, so, you know, there are certain things that I can talk about. There are certain things that I can share insight on that other people can't share. I've shared those things with him, and he's done a really good job of taking those things in, embracing those things, and applying it to 
who he is as a basketball player, who he's going to become as a basketball player, and not who his daddy was or who his daddy wants him to become. Well, that, I think that's really good advice. Now, tell me, this year with him being on varsity, did you? what did you learn? Maybe as a parent or a fan or what, what did you learn watching him all season? Um, I, I don't think I learned anything. I think it just was a reminder um, of the big difference between a ninth grader and an 11th and 12th grader from a strength standpoint, from a speed standpoint. Um, you know, he was, you know, early on, he struggled bringing the ball up because he didn't understand the pace that he needed to play at. So the older, stronger guys would bump him and they would knock him off balance. And when he would get knocked off balance, he would sometimes turn the ball over. So what I had to do was we had to get into the gym and I had to teach him the pace that he needed to play at, stop and go, and, and reminding him that, you know, as a point guard, you're driving the bus. You control the bus. The defense doesn't control the bus. And he got better at that. And so I, I didn't really learn anything. Uh, what I did more than anything was just it was a reminder because it was closer to home, the difference between a ninth grader and a 12th grader. And, um, well, you know, I, I did learn something, to sit as far away from the parents as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sit near any parents at any game. And as a matter of fact, you would not even know I was at a game unless you saw me. Uh, I don't say anything. I don't yell anything. My coaching has already been done prior to CJ getting to the gym, and my coaching will be done five minutes after the game. Other than that, um, I'm quiet as a mouse in there. I think that's I think that's really good, and I wish more people would, would follow that. So tell me, what's next for you? Kerry, you're involved in so many different things, so many different yeah. projects, and what's on next on the horizon for you? Yeah, you know, that's a really, really good question, Combsy. Um, I know I will continue to be a uh, be an advocate for, uh, for the basketball community. I will continue to promote uh, basketball in this community, also throughout the state with the platforms that I've been able to generate. Uh, but when I look back over uh, my life in the last 10 or 15 years and look at um, what I've been able to create. And I really hate saying I, because I, I, I did not do what I did by myself. Uh, there were a lot of folks, a lot of people that cared about Kerry Rich and people that wanted to help Kerry Rich and help elevate him to where he is right now. Uh, I, I will tell you, as important as it is for me to uh, continue to promote basketball, what's more important to me is being a sustained presence in the African-American community, in particular, the inner city, um, which is where I grew up at. Um, I've been very fortunate to create and forge a lot of different relationships with folks uh, that can open doors and create opportunities. And I got to make sure I use those relationships to give back and create opportunities for those young inner city kids who otherwise uh, would not be able to get that opportunity. Basketball was my ticket. But you know what? Every young person isn't going to be an SEC starter point guard. Every young person isn't going to be named an SEC legend. Every young person isn't going to win a state championship. So what we have to do, because I'm a big believer that every young person has a gift. So through these opportunities, through these relationships, we'll, uh, I, I want to make sure we're able to tap into those individual gifts and then put them in position to nurture and develop those gifts and then ultimately put them in position to maximize those gifts. That uh, that position for me is more important than the basketball side. But 
I will tell you that while, you know, uh, remaining a sustained presence in my community as an African-American, um, at some point, I, I do want to scratch that itch, that basketball itch that, that appears to be in place for me. And I don't want to coach. Uh, I don't want to coach at the college level. I don't want to coach at the high school level. Uh, but I do want to, at some point, be a part of basketball, maybe in a broader sense, uh, maybe on a national scale. Um, I, I'll tell you what has happened. Um, over the last eight, nine years, I've forged great relationships with a few NBA scouts, uh, directive scouting. Uh, so what has happened over the last four or five years, anybody that South Carolina has played in the SEC and they played here or anybody from South Carolina, uh, you talk about the Zion Williamson's, the John Morant, the Nick, the Nick Claxton's, uh, the Jarrell Brantley's, the P.J. Dozier's, the, the Sidarius Thornwell's, um, some other guys that have played in the SEC that have come to Columbia. Uh, what has happened is uh, every year prior to the draft, um, uh, they call me. I have a conversation with two or three scouts, and I do an evaluation on those players. And um, evidently, uh, <laughs> it's been pretty good because they've called me for about uh, the last six or seven years now. And I enjoy, yeah, I, I enjoy uh, evaluating players. I enjoy dissecting players. I enjoy breaking down strengths and weaknesses. Um, I don't know um, in what capacity or whether or not it would be in that capacity. But at some point, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know when that, uh, when that time is going to come. Uh, I do think at some point I will scratch that itch uh, pertaining to basketball. But right now, man, I have a I have an unbelievable relationship. I have all access to uh, the, the athletic department over at South Carolina. I, I work for the city of Columbia. I get to impact the kids that I that I grew up, uh, the, the areas that I grew up in. I, I have radio. I have television. Um, I get to work directly with city council, get to work directly with uh, the city manager. And, of course, I work directly with the mayor. So I have a really, really good situation right now. Uh, that I'm not going to be so uh, quick to walk away from. But at some point, Colby, at some point, I don't know when, I will scratch that basketball itch um, that that seems to be growing, uh, growing by the day. Well, as an opposing basketball coach, if that would get CJ from Richland Northeast High School and take him somewhere else, I'd be perfectly fine with that because I know he's <laughs> going to be a force to to deal with in, in the future. Um, also, know that you know you're also just fairly recently started Captain's Hope uh, Inc., which is your five hundred one C. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, just um, just kind of goes back to what I just mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, I'm a byproduct of of inner city Columbia. Uh, my mother was 16 years old, worked as a waitress. Um, when she had me and, uh, so basketball was my ticket, uh, but not forgetting where I came from, um, uh, not forgetting my roots, not forgetting my foundation, uh, while basketball was really, really important. Um, it, it was also equally important to be grounded the right way, to be grounded spiritually, uh, to make sure I exude with mannerisms, to make sure I exude with respect, to make sure I understood how to do right by others. So I, I kind of bottled all of those things up together and came up with Captain's Hope. And Captain's Hope is to provide hope for inner city kids. Captain's Hope is to create uh, opportunities for inner city kids. Captain's Hope is to serve as a bridge to new opportunities. And those relationships that I've been able to forge and, you know, through radio and, and through some other things, 
um, you know, the support uh, from the political world, uh, from the business world, from the athletic world, from the law enforcement world, from the education world. So much support from friends that I have in those areas have allowed me to be able to create different opportunities for young kids. So that's what Captain's Hope is about. You never you know, want to operate um, or, or speak to maybe having a boundary when it comes to impacting kids uh, or, or, or or not wanting to go outside a particular area. Uh, while I will always do that, uh, make no mistake about it, there's a there's an added interest. Uh, there's a uh, there's an intense effort on my behalf to make sure I don't forget about those young kids that grew up in the area that I grew up in. Well, Kerry, I certainly appreciate your valuable time that you shared with us here today and all that that you shared was outstanding stuff. I would certainly encourage people, if they're not already, to go connect with you on Twitter. It's um, at the captain underscore O3. Uh, I know you're a, you're a great follow and a lot of great resource and information uh, about many different things, but we, we so very appreciate the time and information and knowledge you shared with us today. Hey, thank you so much, John. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to spend some time with you. And uh, you've done a really good job of, of getting this podcast uh, off the ground. And also, I'd like to say to you, uh, even with your position as um, the head coach at Westwood and uh, being a part of the South Carolina Basketball Coaches Association, uh, no one has been bigger. No one has been a bigger advocate for South Carolina basketball than you. So um, you're certainly one of my most trusted uh, sources. Uh, you're one of the guys that I rely on when I want to uh, or have questions about certain things. So uh, I can tell you, we appreciate everything that you do um, from your standpoint, from your vantage uh, point, and uh, continue to do the great job that you're doing. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon, my friend. Kerry, thank you for those kind words, and we'll certainly be seeing you soon. Have a good day. Thank you. You've been listening to the Balmetto State Podcast. For our show notes and other valuable information, please visit our website at balmeadowstate.com. We would love to connect with you on social media and hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by going to at Balmetto State. Thank you for investing your time with us.